0: Welcome to Treasury Insights podcast series. According to recent forecasts by the World Bank, China is expected to record a high single digit GDP growth in 2021, driven by strong domestic retail demand, industrial production, and infrastructure growth. It is also moving to open up its economy to attract foreign investment. Today, we will be focusing on two major initiatives by the Chinese government aimed at transforming the ease of doing business in China. One, the digital currency electronic payment program, and two, regulatory reforms to entice foreign investors. I'm Stanley Zhou, GTS Treasury Manager, and with me are Zhang Lei, China Treasury Product Head, and Connie Liu, GTS Senior Advisor, Please join me in welcoming the two speakers.
1: Hi, Stanley. Hi, Stanley.
0: Okay, let's start with you, Zhang Lei. As the saying goes, cash is king, but China is now telling the world that cashless is king. I'm sure most of us have heard and read Alipay and WeChat Pay. These two mobile payment platforms are the dominant payment methods in China. And as we speak, China is in the midst of rolling out the digital RMB. So, could you tell us more about digital RMB and how is it different from the Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies? And two, how will this impact companies operating in China as well as those doing business with China?
1: Thank you, Stanley. The key difference between the digital RMB and other cryptocurrencies is that Digital RMB is issued by China's central bank, PBOC. It is packed one-to-one. In other words, one digital RMB is equivalent to one Chinese national currency RMB. Additionally, the digital RMB carries the central bank's liabilities to the public and is backed by severe credit. Comparatively, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are not backed by a central bank and so the value could burn to 80. Other differences between digital RMB and cryptocurrencies include technology, security, and fraud risks. Currently, PBOC is using the digital RMB mainly for domestic retail payment purpose. As a retail central bank digital currency, it is issued to the public with the purpose to meet the public's daily payment needs. Further improve the efficiency of its retail payment system, as well as to reduce the cost of retail payments. China has been a leader in digital payments, and the use of cash in China has declined significantly in the past years. However, we don't expect the introduction of the digital RB to bring about an immediate change to the way companies in China make payments, especially in B2C business. From Bank of America's standpoint, we expect cash, third-party payment method, and digital RMB to coexist in China in the future. However, it is important for companies operating in China to keep an eye on the development of the digital RMB. If their customers are showing increasing interest in the willingness to use the digital RMB, they should consider looking at accepting the digital RMB, which would mean upgrading their internal processes and ERP systems accordingly. Currently, the digital RMB has been used domestically only, but technically, it is ready for cross-border use. PBOC has recently announced its intention to work with G20 and other organizations to develop a cross-border settlement of digital RMB. It has joined the central banks from Hong Kong, Thailand, and UAE to explore cross-border digital RMB payments through the use of blockchain. Hong Kong has also conducted a pilot test of digital RMB settlement in Hong Kong. However, this process would be complicated and need to be synchronized with the internationalization of RMB. Therefore, though technically ready for cross-border use, digital RMB is still primarily used for domestic retail payments right now. Back to you, Stanley.
0: Thank you for your insights, Zhang Lei. We believe that in the long run, DCEP, or digital RMB, will become an important payment mode in China, helping further improve transaction efficiency and transparency. Now let's turn over to Connie. Besides digital and the mobile payment, China has introduced a slew of initiatives to open up its economy to welcome foreign investors. So here I have two questions for you. One, what are some recent major initiatives by the Chinese government to enhance the ease of doing business in China? And two, what advice do you have for a company looking at entering into or expanding in China?
2: Thank you, Stanley. The new five-year plan by the Chinese government and the, the Belt and the Road Initiative focused on spurring the next stage of development. This primarily involves promoting more sustainable and inclusive growth, as well as further opening up its economy to welcome foreign investment. Some major initiatives from an investment standpoint include the first, introducing new methods to accelerate the transformation of Shanghai into an international financial hub and supporting post-COVID business growth. And the second is launching new financial support for the Great Bay Area in South China. And the Lingang New Era in Shanghai. This includes providing financial incentives and further simplifying reporting and business process. As a way to transfer the government's role from a controller to a service provider, China has been simplifying foreign trade customer procedures and post filing requirements for the selected companies. It has also adopted a negative list approach for investment management scheme which further enhance the ease of doing business in China for corporates. For companies looking at entering into or extending in China, we would advise that they look into four key areas. First, business structure. Second, operating location. The third, financial incentive offered by the government. And the fourth, regulatory environment. Let's start with business structure. The principal business structure available to foreign investors includes representative office, joint venture, or wholly foreign-owned enterprise. Of these three business structures, the wholly foreign-owned enterprise is the most common foreign investment structure because it has full legal recognition and liability as a China domestic company. It has also its own separate rights, responsibilities, complete ownership, and management control. Once business structure has been decided, the company needs to pick an operating location and to do it, it should map out the location of its customers and suppliers. If the company's key business activity includes manufacturing, it should pick a location close to a major port or near to coast with well-developed ground transportation. The third area is financial incentives offered by the government. For instance, some national and local governments offer tax incentives, which is sometimes negotiable depending on numbers of factors. For example, the industry, size of the investment, structure of group entities, technology level, export rates, duration of the operations, all this could have an implication on the tax rates. Last but not least, one of the most challenging tasks for companies looking at investing into China has to be understanding the local regulatory environment. Based on our observation, the Chinese government is keen to make its process more transparent especially in top-tier cities like Shanghai and Beijing. For example, the information on regulations and the policies in these two cities can be found on government websites. And if a company needs help in interpreting the information, they can approach either a marketing research specialist, legal consultant, or their bank for guidance. Back to you, Stanley.
0: Thank you, Connie. So to sum it up, one, choosing the right business structure and the location. Two, leveraging financial incentives to the fullest extent. And three, keeping up with regulatory developments are vital for a company looking to start a business in China. Thank you very much for your insights. My co-hosts are Zhang Lei, China Treasury Product Head, Connie Liu, GTS Senior Advisor, and I'm Stanley Zhou, GTS Treasury Manager And I thank you for listening to Treasury Insights podcast series.
3: Bank of America and Bank of America Securities are the marketing names used by the global banking and global markets divisions of Bank of America Corporation. Lending, other commercial banking activities and trading in certain financial instruments are performed globally by banking affiliates of Bank of America Corporation, including Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Trading in Securities and Financial Instruments and Strategic Advisory and other Investment Banking activities are performed globally by Investment Banking Affiliates of Bank of America Corporation Investment Banking Affiliates, including in the United States Bank of America Securities, Inc., and Merrill Lynch Professional Clearing Corp., both of which are registered broker-dealers and members of SIPC, and in other jurisdictions by locally registered entities. Bank of America Securities Inc. and Merrill Lynch Professional Clearing Corp. are registered as futures commissions merchants with the CFTC and are members of the NFA. Investment products offered by investment banking affiliates are not FDIC insured, may lose value and are not bank guaranteed.